up? This is John with the Dr. John Deloney Show. I hope you're doing well. Hope your neighbors and you are getting along. Hope you're being kind to the people all around you. Hope you're at work. Hope your family's doing well. Hope everything is going okay. Today we've got a special episode. I'm going to interview a Nashville legend, Miss Sissy Goff. She is the Director of Child and Adolescent Counseling at Daystar Counseling here in Nashville, Tennessee. She's been counseling kids for 30 years. And one of the things I love to do when I sit down to talk to mental health professionals is I like to pretend that I'm asking them questions for you guys. I like to pretend I'm asking them these big global theoretical practical questions for others. But reality, I'm just asking questions because I'm just a fumbling dad trying to figure this out myself. And I got two little kids. I'm married. I got two dogs running around. I've got neighbors. I'm, I'm trying to figure this out too. And so on the special edition, I'm talking to Sissy Goff about raising daughters, raising sons, how to be married amidst all this chaos. What do you say to your kid when they come to you and ask you what racism is, what COVID-19 means? Why can't we hang out? What about politics? How do we navigate these messy, messy issues with little ones? We're so glad you're with us. Stay tuned. Okay, so we were just talking off, um, offline. Tell me about your practice here in Nashville. So we see kids from about four up through 18, and we have individual counseling, and we have group counseling, and then we have, in the summer, we have um, two different kind of summer programs. One's like day camp, and then we have an overnight retreat program, too, for the kids that are involved. And how many, how many families are you running through there? 1,900, currently. A year. Well, no, just right now in our practice, we're seeing 1,900 families. Holy, so you'll, ro- you'll rotate out. Yeah. thousands yeah yes and i've been doing it almost 30 years so i don't even know how many thousands of you're not even 30 years old there's no way there's no way thank you yes okay so one of my favorite things about sitting down with mental health professionals Mm -hmm. is i like to ask veiled questions about your expertise about my own kids and family. So I can sound like I'm speaking to the masses when really I'm trying to just steal insights from you (laughs) that I can take back to my own house. And that makes me happy. You've got the same expertise. No, you got 30. (laughs) No, I don't have the same. I wish, I wish. So your most recent book, Brave, A Teen's Girl's Guide to Beating Worry and Anxiety. Tell me about the, the origin of this. So, well, pre-COVID, I, our publisher, actually based on another book called Are My Kids on Track, came to me and said, will you write a book on anxiety for little girls? And you would totally get this. I was like, not unless I can write one for parents, too. Yes, everybody's it doesn't matter. It doesn't yeah. matter. Right. So I wrote pre-COVID one for elementary age girls, because that's the average age of onset these days, and one for parents. And then the pandemic started. And all of a sudden, I wasn't as worried about the little girls, but I was worried about teenagers. And so at that point, I thought, I need to write one for them, too. And so I cranked out this brave book in like 10 weeks. Good for you. Because, you know, we were home and kind of bored at that point. Anyway. The most common question I'm asked above and beyond any other question is, what has happened in the last 25 years that has made everyone so anxious and depressed? And I've got my own theories and whatever about it. If you had to walk back, you start, I mean, you've been in a practice five years and all of a sudden you watch stuff just start to turn underneath us, right? right? Where would you point a mom and her dad who's just sitting there with their face in their hands? Where would you point them to some of the origins of this madness? Well, I mean, you know, genetically, if a parent, you have anxiety, your kids are seven times more likely. And then I think technology is a huge piece of it, just what it does to our brains in terms of almost mimicking a state of anxiety. Social media is a huge part of it. 
I also really believe, well, and I read, I read. <laughs> I love how you. <laughs> trying to graciously say yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. Um, I read 23 books on anxiety to get ready. So I did a okay. lot of research. And the two most common parenting strategies are escape and avoidance. Mm. So the child feels concerned or worried and the parent pulls them out. Yes. And I think that's making the problem worse. And part of it, I think, you're a lot younger than I am, but part of it, I think, is we grew up and our parents weren't in counseling. No. Of course. Weren't even talking about any of these things. And likely, I mean, I wasn't, my, my age group wasn't in counseling. Yours might have been more, maybe. Not, yeah, no. no. And so I think we're seeing a lot of parents who are overcompensating for what they feel like they didn't get. And so now they're trying so hard to understand and empathize that they're stopping there. And the in the books, I have it broken down into understanding, help, and hope. Okay. And it's like they're doing a great job with the understanding, but not moving them into help and the coping sk- skills to work through it. And so they end up blazing this trail ahead of them so that their kids will be okay. Totally. Yes. Which then robs them of the ability to learn some of these skills. Right. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And in the books, I came up with this definition that anxiety is an overestimation of the problem mm-hmm. and an underestimation of themselves. Uh, okay. So it's that gap between what I can do and what I think I need to be doing. Totally. And when we rescue them, we're saying, yep, it's you too big and you're too small. So exactly. then they, they, they run up against the next thing and they immediately start looking around for who's going to pluck them out. Right? right. Right. Okay. So I have a five-year-old girl. And is she your oldest? She's my youngest. She's your youngest. I've got okay. two. Okay. So yeah. Um, she's my youngest. I got a ten year old boy okay. and a five year old girl. That's and fun. It's super fun. <laughs> and I my wife and I, my wife was she graduated with her PhD before me. We we were so, wow. so arrogant after our, our son. Like after a couple of years we just thought everyone else sucks at parenting. We're geniuses. <laughs> Clearly, we need to quit our jobs and go teach people how to do this. Yes. And then my daughter came along, and we realized we have no idea what we are doing, mm-hmm. right? We just rolled the dice well mm-hmm. on the first round. Mm-hmm. What should I be doing now? What can I be doing? This is me not professionally. This is me coming to you humbly. Mm-hmm. W- what can I be doing right now to make sure or to at least put some breadcrumbs along the way so that my daughter can have as good a body image, as good a reflection image as possible. Mm. I've heard everything from it's the it's the dad's responsibility to make sure your daughter grows up healthy. I've heard that it's that all she will do is watch my wife's um the way my wife um uh processes her own image mm. and she'll I've heard everything in between. Tell me something I or tell me a few things I can do right now to instill that in her. Well, I don't know that I would say I wouldn't probably land in either place. The I older either. I get, the I less black and white yeah. I am. Yeah. So, I mean, I think I think to think about food as fuel. Okay. Obviously, to talk about strength instead of ever talking about weight. I mean, I I have so many. I've had so many moms over the years who are critical of the, their daughter's bodies yep. and i have never i mean i jokingly say i've never had a girl who says my mom told me i need to lose some weight and she says let me get on that you know never, <laughs> right. never. <laughs> yes. it backfires every time yeah. and so i think as a dad i mean i think i definitely think it's great to tell her she's beautiful inside and out that you're right, talking right. about all of where beauty comes from in her and right. that it's really resonating inside of her more mm. than anything and that flows outward but i think too 
you as a dad have this, I think as women, we're so intense. And Mm -hmm. I think as men, you have this ability to have a lightheartedness and help them move toward risk taking in a way that is challenging, but in a playful tone. Okay. And so I think when she learns that she's capable and strong and she can step into things with you that are out of her comfort zone, I think that capability and competence are, I think, linked to self-image and even uh, body image. I think it all runs together. Yeah. Yes, yes. So I think speaking to the strengths of who she is and helping grow her confidence and an ability in a way that's very unique to who you are as a man. I think How do really you important. grow a kid's confidence? Besides letting them try and fail, that seems to be the the link, right? Yeah, I, think I, that's I can't. A huge I can't just link. tell them, right? But but you do that too, right? I mean, I think okay. it's both. I mean, they're going to roll their eyes, and she's going to say, "You have to say that because you're my dad." Yeah. But I I would say say it anyway. Okay. You know, I, one of my I have a friend who is really confident, probably one of the most confident women I know. And we were at a dinner party one time, and she said that when she was growing up, every time she walked down the stairs of her home, like every time, no matter mm-hmm. how she was dressed, her dad whistled the theme song to Miss America. Oh, wow. Huh? Isn't that awesome? Which, I mean, she was never in a pageant in her whole life, but I love that he was saying, when you walk in the room, I'm going to stop and pay attention to you. Yep. And I think just that level of engagement mm. even plays into her confidence in a really significant way. And that's not taking her on some elaborate date. No, nope. it's the little attention. things. Yeah. Yes, totally. I notice that my kids, it, it, from however different they are, they both, if I were to distill them down into one sentence, it, one, one question, it would be, please see me. Mm, and that yes. seems to be the most pervasive, overarching thing about their behavior, whether my son is trying to get straight A's, my daughter's trying to set something on fire, or vice versa, <laughs> right? It is, right. please see me, right? And if I every time I, I can that. jump the front of the line and, and make sure they know before they even have to perform, yes. I see you just because you're you, right? Yeah. It just seems the, the, the air in the room gets lighter, right? Mm. Um, okay, so one of the things you wrote about in your book, which I love, and you made my nerd heart feel good. Um, you talk about this idea of co-rumination, right? Mm-hmm. So we talk a lot about on this show, this idea of rumination. This idea is just, it's just spinning and spinning. And we think that we are thinking about important things. And so we give ourselves a pass, right? Mm-hmm. So we'll sit there and have imaginary conversations that we're never going to have, yes. right? We flex that in a toughness that we absolutely are not, right? Mm-hmm. We, but we're thinking about hard things, about when the world's going to end and how much bullets we're going to have, all the stuff, right? Yes, non-productive thinking, yeah. But then you get into co-rumination in this balance between I, we have a dance, right, where I just spend all my time telling you how bad things are and you give me an audience, right? Mm-hmm. How do I balance that in my kids, right? Because I want them to be heard and I want them to be listened to. And I think one of the worst things men do is we run in and try to – give facts-based solutions to everything instead of just being with, right, and listening. How do I both hear and avoid that co-rumination cycle that's just such a mess? Mm -hmm. You know, I think where I think it can be, I love to think about Marriage Counseling 101, you know, the first time you ever go to Marriage Counseling, and one of the first things you learn to do is reflective listening. Yep. What I hear you saying is, and it sounds so silly. Stop solving. You listen. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, right. And I mean, I remember being in graduate school, and they taught that, and me thinking, that's not going to do a thing. And then all of a sudden, it's magical (laughs) when you do it. And so I think no matter what age your kids are, to be able to say back, I really hear that you're frustrated, or I get that you're worried about that, or I understand. I mean, seeing them... 
and saying it back to them. And then I'm a huge fan. I always just talk about empathy and questions. Yep. Sometimes that's the only thing I'll say to a parent in a whole session. So being empathetic and then moving towards what do you want to do about it? What do you feel like God's called you to do in this? Who do you want to be in mm. this? Because I think when we're fixing it for them, when we're problem solving for them, we're going back to that definition of anxiety. Not only can you not do it, you can't even figure it out. And so I've got to do it for you. But when we come back with questions, empathy and then questions, we're saying, I think you're capable. Like, you got this. So there's that. (laughs) I live by two creeds. One, you don't need to say anything to your kids because they're watching you. If Mm. you want them to live a certain way, you have to live it because they're watching you. Yes. And the second is let them know that they're seen. But that takes out my core defense mechanism, which is my advice. Right? Right. So I, <laughs> I want everyone listening to this to hear someone way smarter than me. On most occasions, the last thing your kids need is... Advice. Your advice. Yes. How do you teach a parent to shut up? To just stop talking? You like how I did that? I pointed it to parents being the listeners, but I'm talking good. about <laughs> That was good. Uh, you know, I, I mean, what I will do in my counseling office is say, I mean, I met with a couple recently, and they're repeating the same thing over and over and over, especially with adolescents. By, you hit, by the time you hit that point, they've heard everything you have to say. All so of you, it. All of it. And so I said to this couple, have, has she heard you say that before? And they said, yes. And then I said, then stop saying stop. it. What she needs now is for you to feel like she likes you. Period. Yes. Just shut up. Just yep. hey, my sister and I have a joke. My dad was a homicide. It was a SWAT hostage negotiator. So he wow. cut people off a build, right? Wow. And th- we have this fireplace in our old childhood home where my dad would sit in one recliner and my mom, and, and I've told the story publicly so they won't be embarrassed. And they would talk to us and we know how many bricks were in the fireplace because we'd heard it. Yes. We knew. You just glaze we over. We knew and you yep. glaze over, right? Mm-hmm. And it was that idea of being talked at versus... Talked with, right? Yes. Or heard. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Okay. All right. So this is maybe a, a, a messier question. Since um, we know the kids watch you, right? Mm-hmm. Give me, the universal husband here, some tips on how I can love my wife. Mm-hmm. How can I love my partner enough in ways that my daughter and even my son will pick that up, right? Because I want... Her not to have a frontal lobe understanding of what love is, but I want her to mm-hmm. see it. Mm-hmm. What are some things that couples get wrong when it comes to loving each other in a way that's demonstrative? Well, I think with girls in particular, girls are so intuitive from a really early age, and they start to pick up on the differences in your parenting, mm-hmm. and they start to manipulate it. So good. And so <laughs> I feel like one of the best things we can do for girls is to present a unified front. Okay. Over the years, I've had way too many stories of things like, (laughs) I remember a girl sitting in my office and saying to me, well, my mom's really strict, and my dad and I think... Which, however no she filled way, that dude. in, yeah, it's scary already. Yeah, they're like investing in counseling already, <laughs> or marriage counseling, maybe for her later. And so I think... Enjoying your wife, Uh presenting a unified front. I mean, of course, you're going to have disagreements, but arguments need to have behind, be had behind closed doors. And I would recommend two sets of closed doors because girls listen at the first set. I mean, I hear so many girls talk about sitting at the top of the stairs and listening to their parents argue downstairs, you know. So I think those are probably two of the best things. So I've I've gotten advice in the past to argue in front of your kids, not not wildly. 
so that they can see an arc of a relationship where this is what a disagreement of between two people who love each other. And then the next morning they're having breakfast together and everybody's smiling and laughing. That must be what that looks like, right? Yes. What's the balance between that? I guess that's the balance between that disagreement versus a, we need to get behind closed doors and take the yes, gloves off for a minute. Yes, okay. Yes, really angry. And I think specifically if it's about them. Because what will happen is if it's about them, one of you is often going to be siding with your child and feeling like the other parent is being too strict. And so when that Uh, happens, that's where I think girls can step into all that Freud stuff. They start owning you. Yes, yes. I'm going to triangulate myself in here between my parents. And so I think those are the arguments that feel more concerning to me as primarily counselor to girls that they're going to start to work that later on. Is it true that um, – I hope it's true because I say it almost every single show it's here. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever it is. <laughs> um, that you, you alluded to this. Kids feel the, ten- the relational tension. Yes. And they tend to backfill that tension with it must be my fault. Mm-hmm. And they start trying to solve it in yes. these ways. Is that yes. right? Yes, absolutely okay. they do. Yeah. And they start solving it. It's been my experience that – Kids, whether they get into stuff that we've all said is not a good idea, whether it's they're going to run off and make straight A's, they're going to tuck their shirts in, and they're going to try to perfect their body image. That really, on the arc, is the same behavior. Mm. It just, we we reward some of it, unfortunately. And then it can still pathologize itself. It can still get off the rails there. And then we go to war against other behaviors. But really, they're just trying to... I guess it goes back to being seen, but they're just trying to perform, right? Yes, absolutely. And I mean, that's, you know, with anxiety right now, girls are leading the statistics and boys are taken in for treatment more, Hmm. whereas girls are more anxious. And I think it's because of exactly what you said. I think boys often are more explosive. And so we're seeing their behavior and it's concerning. And girls who are anxious. They're imploding from the inside out. Imploding. And they're perfectionistic and they're doing great in school. And parent-teacher conferences, the teachers say, I wish every child was like her. But we're missing that it's fueled by the same thing, this panic inside of I've got to live up to the expectations. So how do you – man – you're going to get me all fired up here, and it's just the middle of the day. <laughs> so how, what do I say as a parent? I know my daughter's not doing well. Mm-hmm. And the teacher is saying, I, I, you know, you can feel your, your 7-year-old, your 12-year-old, your 14-year-old start to withdraw. Yeah. They're still, they're still checking the boxes, mm-hmm. right? They're going to school. They're still mm-hmm. getting the grades good enough. You know you're losing your kid, and you can't put your finger on it. And you've got a mm-hmm. teacher. You've got a, a pastor at some church. You've got adults and their soccer coach saying – I would do anything for for a team full of those, right? And then I got a a, a boy mm-hmm. who's a knucklehead and rambunctious mm-hmm. and so kind and so compassionate. And I, you can watch them grinding through that distraction to get mm-hmm. their grades. And I've got a teacher saying, I don't want that kid in my class anymore. What, what mm-hmm. how do you how do you equip what would you equip parents with to, to go into those conversations? Well, I think I would say trust your gut as a parent. Because you're going to have a million te- you people. You see that? She's making me look so smart. <laughs> oh my gosh, dude! This is this is this whole episode. Everybody's just for me. It's a hundred percent for me. I have a little self esteem, and she's making me feel better. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, you know your child better than anybody, and and I think just like with our health, you've got to advocate for yourself and for your child. And so, even if it takes you saying things and putting yourself out there and going back over and over, trust your gut and follow it. So as someone who works with families a lot, how many times 
You have your own kids? No. Okay, you don't? Okay. I've counseled thousands of them over the years, but I have a two-year-old nephew. Okay, so how would you answer this question for me then? The longer I go, the more I wish I could walk back. Mm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. How do you teach a parent to forgive themselves? How about that? The more I, I, go, <laughs> I go, oh gosh, I wish I could have that conversation back or oh, I'm freaking blah, I wish I could. How do you not let that pile up as a parent? And you can begin to discharge that, that pain and then move on, right? You can't keep carrying that around with you. Well, I mean, I think it all gets used yep. at some point. And if this generation of kids is feeling more pressure than ever before to be a perfect parent, mm-hmm. the fact that you weren't is only going to help them okay. alleviate that when they get to their own parenting. And I think, you know, again, you're younger than I am, but I think so many of us never had parents who said, I'm sorry, will you mm. forgive me? And and they, kids today feel so much pressure to be perfect. And so as their hero, for you to say to them, I blew it, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Even if it's five years later, I've been thinking about a conversation we had once. And I wish I'd done that differently. Like, what a powerful message for them that I, it, validates it, I, and values them. I think saying I'm sorry to your kids is the most important thing you can do. Is that fair? Yes, absolutely. It's fair. Yes. I think anybody apologizes to anybody these days is pretty awesome. Yes. And failing in front of them. Yeah. You and know? then say, man, I blew that one. Yes. And come with me as I go make it right. Yes. Huh. So good. Okay, so... My counseling session's almost over here. How much time we have, James? <laughs> Another hour or two? Okay, good. We're going to keep going then. Good. Okay, here's my last question. At what point, um, or let me just back up. This year was a mess. We all experienced it. Yes. Our kids experienced it, and every single parent I know, from a parent of four-year-olds to parents of 24-year-olds, had to navigate how much do I tell my kid? When do I tell them? What do I tell them? How much do I shield them from, hide them from, et cetera? Um, what, what insights do you give to parents when they are navigating how much of these issues, COVID, George Floyd racism stuff, and politics, all, how much of that, uh, how do you teach a parent to navigate that? Well, the first thing I would say is you always want to be the source as mm. their parents in all things. They need to feel like they know where you are on things and that they can come to you with anything. And so when we avoid topics, I think we take ourselves out of being the source a lot of times. And so I would say start young, especially if you feel like they've heard about it somewhere else and give them really short, just less than a paragraph of information. Gotcha. You know, hey, here's. We have this pandemic that started in our world. Tell me what you've heard. I mean, I would immediately go back to them and let them tell you because often they haven't heard much or they've heard something wacky at school that's so off what's accurate. And I think so many times we end up having those conversations out of our own panic. And so we give them more information than they even need. But it's about us and it's not about them. Yes, I've got to offload this instead of help. totally. So I would say a little bit, then tell me what you've heard and then ask me questions. Mm. And then that way, again, they're kind of leading because they, I mean, in all things, even if we were talking about parents getting divorced, kids ask the questions that they're ready for the information and if they don't ask they can't handle it a lot of times Uh, okay so those would be my main things i would say in terms of and it's been my experience that you if you are going to engage in a kid you got to tell the truth yes absolutely i've just seen too many folks 
round about the truth or lie to their kids mm. or skip over stuff and then suddenly five ten secrets always come out secrets always come out they always come out yeah mm. i'd rather hard things come out and my kid know my dad's an idiot but he tells the truth versus right. my dad lied to me right yes. i'd much rather this over that yeah. yes huh so what's the what's what's the one thing as a parent i gotta know me and my wife are sitting there looking at our two kids running around the yard Tell us what we need to know right now. <laughs> well, Sissy Goff, help me. <laughs> I I think we would probably, as a staff at Daystar, collectively say that we have had more parents in our offices in tears in the last six months than we've ever had. I, I've ever I seen 100% have experienced that too. Yeah. And so I would say, number one, you're doing great. Mm. Listening. You're doing great. Yeah. With your kids, whatever's going on with them, that just the fact that you're here and showing up and trying right now <laughs> in 2021 means you're doing great. We gave Josephine cigarettes for the first time. She got super <laughs> calm last night. And I'm going to tell my wife, we that's not great. are doing great. <laughs> no, I'm yeah, I think that's one thing I would say. And then, you know, the other thing, as I was reading, writing the first two books on anxiety, it was pre-pandemic. And one of the things I was worried about is how I felt like kids were less resilient than they had been in generations. And I think we were part of it. Like all those living my best life t-shirts and hashtag best day ever, all that stuff, which, by the way, I haven't heard in a year. Nope. <laughs> but, but I think we were making it worse because yeah. they felt like something's wrong with me because I'm going through something hard. Yep. And I firmly believe the kids growing up right now are going to be more resilient than kids that, that we've seen in generations. By a hundred so, miles. Yes, yeah. I think there's so much hope. Yeah. I've even seen some preliminary studies that kids are have adapted, especially young kids, to usually there's a focus on mouths when you're talking to and they're yes. already being able to shift and recognize eye crinkles and so wow. quick. And so wow, some of these things so I was so cool. freaked out about may end up not coming to right not coming to yes. pass and it ends up being my drama that i'm mm, i'm passing on statement. to my kids mm -hmm. then as opposed to them me trying to protect them in any noble way or whatever so right. all right so sissy goff child counselor extraordinaire thank you for a short amount of time you're so awesome there's uh, few people that come through here um that everyone is saying oh they're a great person that you should interview and my kids go there, right? <laughs> um, so it's, this isn't like a uh, like a high level referral. Or this is like no, this is where my colleagues put their put their money and mm. put their most trusted resource. So um, these two books, extraordinary. Where can people go get these? Anywhere books are sold, and we have a web, web we have a website that's raisingboysandgirls.com. Excellent, raisingboysandgirls.com. Sissy Goff. If you have a child, I was going to say if you have a child struggling with anxiety. I'm just going to refine that. If you have a child, you should pick up these two books. <laughs> thank, um, thank you so much for your time. Oh, You're a so saint. so fun to be here. And I hope you, you guys keep doing the great, great work that y'all are in our community. Thank, thank you, you so much. Hey, thank you so much for joining me and my new friend, Sissy Goff. If you're interested in her books, if you've got kids that are struggling with anxiety, if you've got daughters who are struggling with anxiety, check out the show notes and we will list the resources there. I hope everybody in your life's doing well. We're not going to have any lyrics today. We're just going to end it here. Thank you for joining us with the Dr. John Deloney Show. <laughs>